we will be in 2 Timothy chapter 1 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1 this morning. I remember when I became a parent. I remember the first time that I held Landry Kate in my arms and um, and and just, you know, I'm a big baby. Most of you know that. And I just bawled like a baby. I'd also been up like 20-something hours. Logan was like, you're not going to sleep. If I'm doing this, you're not going to sleep. Yes, ma'am. So I did not go to sleep. And so, um, you know, it was... It was it was a mess, but um, each one of our kids we have, and many of you do, we have a, a footprint. Okay, this just happens to be Briggs because I have it. Um, I think Landry's just you know Landry's the first kid, so all of her stuff is neatly organized into a precious little box and all of that. Briggs and Suttons are somewhere, right? Anybody relate to that, right? So I have Briggs, but. I specifically have it as a bookmark in my Bible to remind me of my role. Um, it's a reminder that, that every single day as I dig into God's Word and as, as I'm here in God's Word, that my role as a parent is first as a disciple maker. That's our aim this morning. Is that your role as a parent the most important role of a parent is to be a disciple maker. I'm going to share with you a quote by Paul David Tripp. He's a pastor who's written extensively on parenting, and he says this. It's going to be up there. Parenting is not first about what we want for our children or from our children, but about what God in grace has planned to do through us in our children. You're... Your most important role as a parent is to be a disciple maker. As a believer, your most important role as a parent is to be a disciple maker. You're like, Brady, this is Mother's Day. You need to talk to the moms. Sorry, you're not off the hook, dads. I know it's Mother's Day and happy Mother's Day. And, and moms, you got to get through the message. But afterwards, you all get Tiff's Treats cookies. We got you, okay? But your role as a parent matters. It matters in the life of your child. And you are the primary disciple maker. Not the church. Not Clint. Not Christine. Not me. Not the nursery workers. You, as a parent, are the primary disciple maker. Like, Brady, I don't, I don't, I'm scared about that. I don't even know what that means. And I'm, Okay, we're going to tell you. First, Second Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 3, we see this. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Now, let's just stop there for a second. Verse 3 and 4, Paul is writing this second letter to Timothy Paul is writing from um, a prison. <clears throat> At this point, Paul has already gotten his execution assignment. Like, he is dying. Like, he is going to die at this point. He's in a prison cell. He's writing to Timothy. <clears throat> and he is telling him with incredible urgency and with incredible passion, here's some things you have got to know, Timothy. Right? So, First Timothy, we, we see this... Um, this instruction for the church and for the pastor. And then we get to 2 Timothy, and 
And the nuance, the, the, the spirit behind it shifts a little bit because Paul now knows this is, this is what I got. I gotta, I gotta let him know some things. And so he says, hey, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. Paul's not saying that he's sinless. He's saying he's guiltless because Christ has taken all the guilt away. As I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And then verse 3. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. We're going to camp out in these next few verses this morning of what Paul is telling us as believers, but I believe also what he's telling us as parents. Okay? So, the first thing we see is that we are to have a sincere faith. Paul says, verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Um, and this word sincere here is literally the word without hypocrisy. Sincere faith means without hypocrisy, that, that what I believe and how I live are not different. How many of you know someone who claims one thing and lives another way? Come on. Everybody does, right? right? Isn't, that, isn't that why people say they don't want to come to church? There's a bunch of hypocrites there. Absolutely, there are. I see you. You see me. Right? We're not perfect. We're not. <clears throat> but what Paul's saying here is that I, I, we're to have, as, as parents, as believers, we're to have a sincere faith, a faith that we strive every single day to say, hey, this is what I believe and I'm, I'm living it out. And here's why that matters, just because Paul's going to say this, is that you have a sincere faith, a faith that dwelt dwelt a faith that dwelt and that word there is <clears throat> to inhabit a faith a sincere faith a faith without hypocrisy that inhabits you how many of you stayed at a hotel lately dang how many of you have ever stayed at a hotel yay all right we're good there we go so <laughs> You stayed at a hotel. Do you dwell at that hotel? No. You go and you stay there. And then you leave. You take your stuff in. And you take your stuff out. Hopefully. Right? But when you move into a home that you're going to live in, what happens? You dwell there. You inhabit that space, don't you? With way more stuff than any of us are probably okay with admitting right like we have all kinds of stuff and you're like why do we have so much stuff it's everywhere but we inhabit that place and that's what paul's talking about here he's like hey have a sincere faith that inhabits you it is it is it is you it comes in and it takes over everything you are it 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 informs the decisions you make it changes how you think it changes the way you live. It changes what you say yes to and what you say no to. It changes the way you live your life. 
And so Paul says, hey, have a sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. There's a progression here, isn't there? The grandmother, and then the mother, and then to Timothy. And what a legacy that is, isn't it? Look, and, and, and Paul doesn't mention this by chance. Like, oh, by the way, I'm just so thankful for, for Eunice and Lois. Like, no. The sincere faith, the faith without hypocrisy, the faith that inhabits everything that they did changed Timothy's life. Parent, is how you're living changing your kids' lives and your grandkids' lives? Is the decisions you're making changing their lives and pointing them to Jesus? We are called to have a sincere faith. Look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge you to ask a question to your kids. And it's a hard question. Because the question's one of those questions that if I ask, I'm not sure I want the answer. We asked our kids this question last week. And I was nervous. I was like, I don't know if I want to ask this question or not. So I'm not sure what the answer. I have an 11-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a, and a 4-year-old. I was like, okay, I'm going to ask the question. Because if I'm going to ask you to ask your kids the question, I'm going to ask my kids the question. They're like, Brady, what's the question? Hurry up. The question is this. What do you think is most important to our family? What do you think is most important to our family? So we ask our kids that question. My eight-year-old. Dad, I think the most important thing to our family is Jesus. Whew. Okay. I'm the pastor. That's the right answer. Okay. My 11-year-old's like, Dad, I think the most important thing to our family is that we go and we meet with the church. And we learn more about the gospel and to be a better disciple. Yes, yes, and yes. And the mighty girl goes, I want to change my answer to that. <laughs> I said, no, buddy. Jesus is the most simple and profound answer you could ever give. And, and the reason that that tears me up as a pastor is because I'm just going to be real honest with you this morning. There are days that that does not feel true. There's days that even as a parent and a pastor that I don't know that the most important thing to our family is Jesus. But it has to be. It has to be as believers, as primary disciple makers, the most important thing to our families has got to be Jesus. So Paul says, hey, have a sincere faith. But then he's going to go also, he's going to say, hey, you're going to nourish your faith. And you're like, Brady, what does this mean? It's like, hey, as, as believers in Christ, as parents, 
in order to be the best parent that you can be, you have to take care of your own faith. Don't just come to church and go, check mark. You've got to take care of your own faith in order to disciple your children. Look, he says this in verse 6. For this reason, what's the reason for? I'm reminded of the faith that your mother and your grandmother had. For this reason, the faith that they had, I'm reminded. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul says, hey, fan into the flame. You have to, the second point is this, we have to nourish our faith. We have to come to a point where we are taking care of our own faith. It is not enough to show up on Sunday mornings. It's just not. That's not what we were ever called to do. A faith that inhabits us, a gospel that, that dwells inside of us and takes over and, and changes everything, is not a faith that just shows up on Sunday mornings and says, I'm good. But it's a, a faith that says, on Monday I spend time with him. On Tuesday I spend time with him. On Wednesday I spend time with him. On Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday, on Sunday, on Monday. It's a consistent, just like we learned last week with, in 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, make this the pattern of your life. You have to nourish your faith. He says, fan into the flame, right? I mean, have you ever built a fire? I was like, it was like uh, for a second, there was like three of you in here that built a fire, and I'm like, we need to have like a Boy Scout outing for the whole church. This is how you build a fire, right? Right? You, you've got to give the fire what? Air, or it won't go, right? What is the air? The air is the fuel for the fire. Paul says, hey, fan that. Well, what's the fuel for our faith? Well, I'm going to give you some practical ways. We talked about this three weeks ago, but I'm going to give you some more. First thing is this, take joy in him. Take joy in him. You're like, Brady, I don't, what is happening? I don't know what that means. Take joy in him. It, it means this, is that you, you, you regularly wake up in the morning, go to the mirror. Like, I'm already not liking where this is going. Go to the mirror, look in the mirror, and, and look, there's something uh, for us in our mindset when we speak things aloud. We look in the mirror and we say, thank you, God, for waking me up today. Thank you, God, that your mercies are new for this day. God, I need you today. That's, that's just simple looking and speaking those things to him. And you seeing yourself speaking those things to him that you begin to slowly day by day take joy in that moment and you're taking joy in him because he is the author and perfecter of our faith he's the one that sustains all so we take joy in him we every day start our day with him 
Well, the second thing is this, is that we allocate time with him. We allocate time with him. Look, we are really bad about this. I'll get to my devotion. I'll get to it. And when you get busy, the first thing that goes is that. I'll do it later. And then later becomes, I'm exhausted and tired and ready to go to sleep. Or, or later becomes, I'll do it on my phone and then social media. And we start scrolling mindlessly. And then all of a sudden it's an hour and a half later and we're like, oh man, go to bed. Right? The only way that we get better at allocating time with him is if we put in our phone on our calendar and set 17 reminders hey this is the time with the lord i don't know and i don't care when it is but you have to allocate time with him and nothing gets in the way of that absolutely nothing gets in the way of that if it's 7 a.m every morning it's 7 a.m every morning and nothing gets time that brady my kids get up at 7 a.m okay Push it back to 6 a.m. You know how early that is? I do. But you have to make it a priority to allocate time with him. You want to grow in your faith? You want to nourish your faith? You have to make time with him priority. You allocate time with him. And the third thing is this, is that you study the instruction he's given you. You know that, that he's actually told you how to live your life you know that he's told you how to live your faith? It's right here in his word. So many times we, we <clears throat> I ask people all this, like people will come to me and say, hey, I'm just struggling. I'm just struggling oh, in my faith. I'm struggling to walk, okay? My first question is, when's the last time you've been in God's word? Well, I mean, it's, you know, there's your answer. It's really, and I'm not, I'm not being patronizing. I'm, not, I'm just telling you it's not hard. You want to nourish your faith? Get in the instruction he's already given you. Like start studying, start reading it. If you have questions, that's okay. That's how we learn. Pick up the phone and call or text. I love having those conversations. If you want my cell phone number, come ask me. I will give it to you. You can text me and ask me any question and I may not have the answer and that's okay. But I can guarantee you this, I will go find the answer and we will discuss it. We have to get into the instruction that God has given us in order to nourish our faith. And then the last thing is this, is that we respond to him in worship. We respond to him in worship. We are given an opportunity every week to come in here. And here's the thing. Oftentimes we call this time that we meet worship uh, because we are. Everything we do in here is an act of worship. If you notice that, that we start our service with the word of God, we end our service with the word of God. We, everything we do in here is an act of worship. But, but so many times we think that singing songs is worship well it is an act of worship but that's not worship that's not all that worship is worship is our life and how we respond to god and so i like to put it this way when when we respond to to him in worship is find things that 
that stir your affection for Jesus. If you're one of those people who are like, I really don't listen to music, that's okay. You know, not everybody's wired that way. I love music. I listen to music all the time. Ricky loves music. He listens to music. Clint loves music. Like, but that's how we're wired. That's okay. If you're not wired that way, what stirs your affections for Jesus? I've said this before, but I have a, I have a list of things on my phone, um, and it's just a folder entitled Things That Stir My Affection. And on that list are just phrases. It could, be, it could be a song. It could be a verse of Scripture. It could be something that I've I read in a book. But, but it's a phrase or a line that just, just makes me and stirs my affection for who Jesus is. I have a friend of mine who, on a regular basis, and you're like, Brady, this is kind of creepy. I know, but it, listen, right? He goes and he will go sit in a cemetery. And he'll just look at headstones. And he just reminds him of the time we've been given. But it stirs his affections for Jesus. I spent an entire year one time um, in my devotional time reading through old hymns, like written from hundreds of years ago. And I, I would just read a hymn a day, and I wouldn't sing them because I don't sing. Well, I do, but you don't want to hear it. Um, but, but I would read through these hymns and read these lines and, and even to this day from, from that season of my life I can hear one of those hymns and man my heart lights up because of these words from people hundreds of years ago declaring who Jesus is what stirs your affection are you an artist you like to draw you like to do those things what stirs your affection for Jesus? Do that and do it often. Because we are called to respond to him in worship and that is how we nourish our faith. And then Paul's going to go on in verse 7 and he's going to say this. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The last thing is that we practice our faith. He says, hey, you've been given the spirit and it's not of, of fear that we should be shy and timid and, 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 and run away. But he's giving us a spirit of power and love and self-control. And I love what Paul does here because he gives us these three things. The, the, the word power. You've been given a spirit of power of, of, uh, that, that says, hey, I can be bold. But we do that with love and self-control in mind. We don't take the power and go, yeah, I'm going to rein it over you and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat you down until you come to know the Lord. Nope. <laughs> Paul rather says you've been giving a spirit of power and love and self-control. We're, we're called out to practice our faith, to do it on a regular basis. Look, look we, we, are, we are working on something as a church that I am so excited about. Um, it, it's gonna, we're going to launch it in September. Um, uh, of, of the evangelism culture of Oak Grove and, and how we as believers and, and as a family lead our neighbors to know and be changed by Jesus. I'm going to give you a teaser. It's called Who's Your One? We're going to have a whole thing about it. It's going to be incredible. But we are going to challenge all of us, okay, to find one person and say, hey, we're going 
to lead this person to know and be changed by Jesus. We are called, church, to share our faith. We're called to practice our faith with power and love and self-control and love people to the point where they can come and know Jesus. Parents. Parents. Moms. Dads. You are the primary disciple maker in your home. Take care of your own faith. And by so doing, your kids will begin to model the things you do. When they see you study God's word, guess what they will desperately want to do? Study God's word sitting next to you. I can think of no greater legacy in all the world than for a mom or a dad and their kids to sit next to one another in their old age studying the precious word of God. So if you're a new parent here this morning, take care of your faith. If your kids are older, take care of your faith. If you have grandkids, take care of your faith. It matters. One more quote this morning, and then we'll be done by Paul David Tripp. God didn't give you your children to build your reputation, but to publicly proclaim His. Your kids are given to you as a gift from God to proclaim Him above all. Not how they, good they are in sports. Not how good they are in band. Not how smart they are. Not how talented or gifted they are. They are giving to you as a gift to proclaim Him and Him alone. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word this morning. Father, I pray that on this Mother's Day, we would all be reminded of the role that You have given us as primary disciple-makers, as the ones who declare, just as Lois and Eunice did to Timothy, we are declared to our children, above all, the name of Jesus. Father, may that be true of us today. In the mighty and precious name of Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said, Amen.